Hey, good morning. Glad you're here. Isn't it good to see some people uh, that you haven't seen in a while? Maybe you've been going to different services. We love the summer times of 10 o'clock. We're in this series all summer long, uh, Hidden in Plain Sight. It's all about the parables of Jesus. And our hope is that you'll read along with us and that you will dig in. We will jump into the first parable next week. And so what have we been doing for three weeks? We've been talking about some foundational ideas that will help us understand how to read scripture. Because you would think that all it would take would just be opening your Bible and reading. But as it turns out, we come to all kinds of different conclusions. Some of them probably near the bullseye. Some of them probably way off the mark when it comes to reading, understanding, and even applying scripture. So why is that? How can it be that we can read the same words in the same book and come to incredibly different, even contradictory conclusions. And so what we wanted to do is just lay some foundation work before we jump in to the parables. And we've created part of our website. We'll keep mentioning it all summer, and you'll eventually make it there. Um, it's castleoaks.org slash grow. And there's some discussion questions. If you are in a small group or if you journal, there's some scriptures you know, that we've talked about through the week and stuff that we'll preach on next week. All of that is there. You'll see it's in a blog format. We would love for you to dig in and think a little bit deeper, dig in a little bit more thoughtfully into the content. Last week, we used this passage to help us think about what it means to grow. And in fact, we'll just say it together just to kind of get our hearts centered and reorient us. So start with me. You ready? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be by the renewing of your mind. And we use this passage in Romans, this one verse, actually just part of a verse, to help us think about what it means for us to, to grow, to change over time. Uh, we used a passage from Galatians 2 that Paul was sort of worked up about a group of people who were not quite allowing, in his words, Christ to be formed in them. And there's this impression even if it's a parable about the sower or these words by Paul or various places in the New Testament, that there's something that happens in the life of a believer that involves growing or changing, moving along some continuum, that, that we might not be the people that we were, you know, several years ago, and, and that we might become something else, something more like Jesus over time. In a couple of years, there'll be something that's a part of our character or our behavior, or the way we think, or the way we love, that is a little more like Jesus. It's kind of what he describes in this parable of the sower, that there's some seeds and then some things grow, and so, so we grow. And so before we jump into the parables, one of the questions that's really worth wrestling with is this, what does it look like when we grow? What, 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 is that, what does that mean? What are we describing? And for some of us, we look at people that we've known for years, and they are followers of Jesus, but they're, I don't know, the same, whatever the same is. They're just as grumpy as they've always been. They're just as disagreeable or just as impatient or just as unloving or just as judgmental. And maybe we see that in somebody else, but then we look in the mirror and we hope, oh, I hope that doesn't describe me. I hope that over time, there's something in me, something that's maybe evident to people that watch me or something that's obvious to me in my own heart that there's, there's movement towards becoming like Jesus. And, and so the question, if we're going to ask this, what does spiritual growth look like is 
over time, what do you become like? What can you expect? What can you count on? What does it look like for other people that you're in relationships with? What kind of qualities would emerge? I mean, will you really look up in 10 years and go, well, I mean, I, you know, nothing's changed. I'm just a little grayer, a little older, a little fatter, whatever it is that is the case for you. I just use words that describe me. So you in, insert your own adjectives for you, okay? Non-judgmental. Or am I as impatient as I've always been? Am I kinder? Am I more gracious? It's a question that we ought to wrestle with, especially if we're going to take time to read Scripture. And it ought to be a question that you wrestle with uh, pretty much all the time. Is what does that look like? What does it look like to make some, I don't know, progress maybe as a word or some movement in the right direction? And so for the last two weeks, everything we've said is to bring us to this point today. It's to help us understand an idea that if we don't come to terms with or if we don't grapple with, we'll misunderstand the very nature of Scripture and very likely find ourselves the same people that we were long ago will be a long time from now, okay? So here's where we started last week. We said, look, if we resist being wrong, if you remember the message a couple weeks ago, maybe you missed it, so here's the two-minute uh, summary, most of us resist the idea that we're wrong. And, and there's all kinds of reasons for this. Maybe it was the way we were raised. Maybe it's that we're a, sort of a, a perfectionist, if you will, or we, we like to live in the avenues, the areas of being right. And so we resist being wrong. And most of us have adopted the idea that being wrong is a bad thing. And some of you are thinking, what is he even saying? Of course, it's a bad thing to be wrong. And that's because of how we were taught that when you have the wrong answer, this is a negative, it's a mark, it's a, there's something that's not good about you or the way you're thinking. And, and while some of those are shades of gray or a little bit true, when we're wrong, all we've done is discover a place where we can learn. That's all we've done. And this idea that we resist being wrong, well, that is the very thing that begins to get in the way of us, well, growing or changing over time. And so we talked about that. And all this is centered around the words of Jesus. It sounds like some psychology, but that's just because our understanding of the mind came from our interpretation or our understanding of how God made us, and Jesus describes it perfectly. And so if we resist being wrong, that, that's one of the first things. And in the last week we talked about this. And if confirmation bias, is a fancy word for this, is filtering out ideas and information that we disagree with. And all that means is that, well, most of us think we're learning about things, but really what we're doing when we either read the news or do our own research or whatever it is that we're doing, we're looking for information that affirms what we already think and we're just sort of driving our own ideas or opinions or convictions or beliefs into a corner, maybe a little deeper in the hole. That's what confirmation bias is. And some of you Googled it and had some fun with it because it's everywhere and it affects everything that we think. And it's true. And again, it's not our idea. Jesus described it really, really well. But if confirmation bias is filtering out ideas and information that we disagree with and we have issues with admitting that we're wrong or that we maybe have missed the target on something, then the deck is stacked against us. The idea of learning something new, 
well, the hill for a lot of us is just a little steep to climb. I mean, to, to learn new stuff or a new habit, a new way of thinking, or even perceiving, understanding who God is and how he works, oh my goodness, we have to really, really want it. I mean, so much so that we're willing to, I don't know, be humble and hungry, admit that we were going down a road that benefited us and really wasn't a picture of the whole deal. I mean, this is a a very, very big deal. Jesus took these ideas that we've given psychology terms to, and he used his own words to describe exactly what it is. Here's how Jesus said it. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Does that sound like anybody you know? You know anybody like that? I bet you live with somebody like that. And I bet somebody you live with thinks they live with somebody like that. And this isn't a new idea that Jesus is sharing. This is the answer to Jesus that Jesus gives when the disciples say to Jesus, why do you teach in parables? And so Jesus, in Matthew 13, he goes back and quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. He goes all the way back, I mean, hundreds of years before, and he quotes Isaiah, and he is describing the spiritual condition of everyone who has ever lived and how we learn and how it gets in the way. And what we said the first week is that with the parables, Jesus is taking spiritual truth and he's putting it kind of on the top shelf. I mean, you got to get the ladder out to get it. And it's there because he wants to know, are you just going to believe what you've always believed or are you interested in understanding a little bit deeper than you always have? Because there's a chance that you might be wrong. And so we come to the deal with this idea that, I, I don't know, I mean, I believe what I believe, but I could be wrong. I could be. I could be wrong about lots of things. And not only that, I'm, I'm probably going to be likely to only read or agree stuff, agree with stuff that, that affirms what I already think. And there's a thousand reasons why Jesus says this and why we have this habit. I mean, there are truths that resonate with us. When we see them, we kind of like them. You know, we smile and we get a little excited. We think, yes, that's exactly right. That's what I think. And we, we resonate with those truths because of, I don't know, maybe we're wired that way. Could be because we were raised that way or, or maybe we were raised the opposite of that way. I mean, some of you are more likely to rebel than others. And some of you are, you know, people pleasers and fall right in line with the family idea. There's lots of reasons why. But if all of that is true, if we're likely to lean into the stuff we already think, and if you're still resisting that idea, you're not alone. Lots of people resist it. If that is true, then we will be missing the one thing that is needed for you and I to grow, to actually grow. Meaning, you'll look up one day and think, I don't know how this happened, but there's a little bit more of Jesus in me than I even knew was possible. There's a little bit more kindness or patience or gentleness or love or mercy than I even knew was actually available to me. That's, that's what will happen. Somebody in your family is going to go, how come you're not mad like you usually are? Why didn't you react the way you did? I don't know. I just got used to it. We'll be missing the one thing that's needed for that. Let me give you a, 
an example and paint a picture for you, okay? Here's a proverb that some of you are really going to like. It's, it's, a, it's a great proverb. In fact, it, it ought to be something you commit to memory, okay? Here's what it says, Proverbs 26.4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. It's a great verse, isn't it? I mean, how many of you have ever been in a conversation and you entered into the conversation because you can't believe what somebody just said? Maybe it was around the dinner table or somebody you know, or maybe it was just a conversation you had in your head after you read something online or whatever it is. And in that conversation, real or imagined, you began to say things and enter into an argument or a discussion with somebody. And two minutes in, you think, I, you know, I'd like to back out of this, but I'm, I'm too far in now. I don't know how to back up. And so you just keep saying things. And you can't even believe that half the stuff that's coming out of your mouth is actually being said. You don't even agree with what you said. But you're just trying to put this fool in his place, and you end up in a worse spot than they were in when you started. Is that just me, or does that ever happen to anybody? Anybody? A few of you? And so for some of you, when you hear this, you think, oh, this is genius. I'm going to write this down. I'm going to memorize it. I mean, let's be honest. Some of you just found your life verse, right? (laughs) Do not answer a fool. That's, if I just did that, how much better would your life be? And then you kept reading. And the very next verse in Proverbs says this. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Well, dang it, which is it? Because I thought that's what I was doing. But it turns out I, I shouldn't have been answering a fool, and now Proverbs has me confused. I don't even know which is, which is true. Which am I supposed to do now? I mean, this, of course, written by some incredibly wise people, Proverbs, and this Solomon, known as being one of the wisest, and here he can't even make up his own mind. How am I supposed to know what to do with that coworker who just drives me insane? I mean, it's in the Bible. And not only that, these, these verses are side by side, as if we want to be sure you didn't miss it, that they were in there. You didn't have to hunt in your concordance to find these and written by different people at different times, different places. And so when you put them together, it's a tough one. So which is true? Do not answer a fool according to his folly or answer a fool according to his folly. It's no mistake that these are worded the exact same way. I mean, is one true and one sarcastic? That I could get behind, couldn't you? I mean, I believe in sarcasm is like a spiritual gift that God has given some of us. And so that, that I could, I could lean into. But it feels like that that's not the case. And so which one am I supposed to live by? Which one is true? Both are true. Both are true. And as hard as this is going to be for some of us, this, both of these seemingly contradictory statements, both of them being true, well, this happens all through Scripture, over and over and over again. Now, the critics or the non-believers or those who are just trying to throw rocks at the, 
glass house of the church, they'll say, well, that's why you can't trust the Bible. It contradicts itself. These are together in Scripture side by side for a reason. And they're both true. There are truths in Scripture that are true for all people, all times, all places, all throughout history, and they seemingly contradict. And it's not just true of little principles like this. It's true of big ideas about God and who he is and how theology works and what he's up to. They're both true. Is Jesus a king or is he a servant? Which is it? Oh, it's both. Is God gracious or is he demanding? Well, I don't know what scriptures you're reading, but I think he's both. I can see it in almost every story, almost on every page. Do you and I, do we have free will? Or does God already know how things are going to turn out for me and for you? Both are true. Here's what I'm saying in a, a simple sentence, okay? And for some of you, this will be a bit of a, a roadblock or a bit of a hurdle, so you'll have to go slow. It's a curve, right? If you're driving a car, what do you do when you get near a curve? You just slow down a bit, just pump the brakes a bit, and then pay attention. So that's what we're going to do with this statement. You ready? Most biblical principles have a balancing truth that creates tension and seems like a contradiction. This is true of almost everything you'll find in Scripture. And there's a problem with this. And if you take this at face value for the moment, you can debunk it later, okay? You can argue uh, about how an I'm an idiot at lunch. That's fine. But if you'll just take this at face value, I'll show you where we end up. Most biblical principles have a balancing truth that creates tension and seems like a contradiction. And this isn't true of the biggest the biggest things, the, the Big Ten and the, the ideas of Jesus as deity and God, one God, all of those things, not true of those, but most of the things that you and I are trying to live our lives by or implement in our relationships or try to sort out why there's friction between us and an idea or a person can be evidenced by this truth. They have a balancing truth that creates tension, and it seems like a contradiction, and when you and I sit down in our living room and we open up the Bible and we begin to read, believing that we're just going to read and find some wisdom and apply it to our lives, we read all of it, but we ignore, cast out, disagree with, set aside, don't even see the stuff that doesn't fit our normal understanding of who God is and how he works and what we believe about what is in Scripture and we embrace all of the stuff that fits our normal understanding. And that happens because, well, I've already told you, for two weeks, right? We don't like to be wrong. We hate it when we're wrong, so we lean into being right. And we think we're right even when we know we're wrong. You've done that how many times? You've argued stuff you don't even believe in with people just so you didn't want to have to back up. And confirmation bias is at work. That's the whole deal, Right? And Jesus also put truth on the top shelf so that we would have to at least get the ladder out and reach for it. This is why he taught in parables, his words. And if that's the case, when this is in play, then there's all kinds of truth that we will not pay attention to. When that happens, we miss so much that's needed to help us grow. And we miss the most important thing that is critical to help us grow. 
And we do this for two reasons. One, uh, it feels like they both can't be true. So we keep the one we like and toss the one we don't like. That's what we do. And the second reason is this. We, we, we memorize and we keep the one we like because we do not like the tension that comes. So let's go back to our example, okay? Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. That's true, absolutely true, and you've experienced it in your life. But I bet you also know that this is true. Answer a fool according to his folly or you'll be wise in his own eyes. That's also true. Both are true. But these two truths create a tension. And this tension makes it appear as if these statements are contradictory, but they're not. You, however you operate, in your relationships and how you read, I bet you have a go-to when it comes to one of these. In fact, if you were to just open up your Bible on a random day, you would read this set of verses in Proverbs 26, and you would resonate with one and kind of feel some resistance against the other one. Which one do you like? Which one do you think is a little bit more true? And there's one that you read and you think, I don't know, maybe once in a great while, but not really. Not really. I think he was... Missing the boat on that. Well, I'll ask you. You, you watch for the hands, okay? This will be just a little social experiment. How many of you really appreciate and resonate more deeply with do not answer a fool? Let me see your hands. Put them up. How many of you have a habit of answering fools? Let me see. Put, put them up. See, it's so good. See, somebody near you, and odds are, if you're married, you know, one of you raise your hands for one... And, you know, we didn't even include the verse here about call somebody a fool and you'll be in danger of hellfire. That wasn't even written. That wasn't even written when, when this was written. So, yeah, throw that into the mix just to, for good measure. There's one that you resonate with. And so some of you are more likely to answer a fool. And some of you are quiet. And you don't answer a fool. You just sit there and judge them. And you say, if they knew what I knew, they would not think that. And you just kind of keep it to yourself, your introverted self. And when we read Proverbs 26, we don't like to be wrong. Confirmation bias is doing its thing. We are likely to read one of these and set it aside and pay no attention to it. And the other one we embrace and we memorize and we say, that's who I am. That's who God called me to be. That's how I'm going to live. But God has called all of us to experience the, the tension and the apparent contradiction in Scripture and lean toward the truth that creates for us the greatest amount of discomfort. And that is where you will find growth. Without it, you'll think like you always thought, You'll react like you've always reacted. You'll have the same amount of spiritual fruit that you've always had. Growth requires tension. And without the tension, we just become who we already are. And so what does that mean? Well, it means when you read this, what if you took this approach to Scripture? Let's say you have a habit of not answering a fool. That's, that's my habit, by the way. So I didn't raise my hand, but that's, that's my habit. I like to sit quietly in my introverted self and judge you all. That's what I do, okay? 
I say that in Jesus' love. I do. I mean that in the kindest way. And so you can ask Donna. I, 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 that, that's who I am. I, I'm more likely to embrace this. I read this and I think that's exactly right. Come on, preach it. That is what it should be. And I read this and I think, well, that's just a terrible idea. So we, we shouldn't do that. So for me to grow, what God has called me to do is in a conversation when I feel like it might be uncomfortable is do the very thing that I resist. And it is to live according to this maxim, this precept, this principle. Answer the fool. You know what happens half the time you answer a fool? You find out you're the fool. Because they have an idea that you didn't even consider. And you see it in a way that you didn't even know was possible. And my thoughts, ideas, convictions, they begin to shift and change. Why? Well, because I'm absolutely trying to beat it into my thick skull that I could be wrong and I don't want to miss it. Confirmation bias is doing its thing on me every day. And so I want to lean into the truth that creates the most friction or discomfort for me. And when I do that, when I do that, something unique happens. The tension in me, and it creates all kinds of tension to do this, the tension in me creates some growth. Now, this is Old Testament. This is just one idea. It is all throughout Scripture. It's everywhere. And if you think in terms of the tension and opposing seemingly contradictory truths, you'll begin to see them everywhere too. Here's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, you sang it in, in, when you were a little kid in church. Hide it under a bushel. What was the answer? No, 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 no. Let your light shine. And then the reference isn't there, but it's the very next chapter, the first verse of chapter 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, I don't know what you're going to do with those two verses, but they're both true. They're both true. But there are some listening right now that have a tendency to kind of take their righteousness and tuck it away for lots of reasons. Humility, fear, some reasons are good, some not so good. And there are some of you that are in the middle of telling a story about the good that you did and you know it's because you want them to think well of you and you cannot stop yourself. Which one of these resonates with you more? Some of you need to tell the story because you see Jesus saying, you know, put it under a bushel. That's what you see Jesus saying, and you resonate with that, and you want to do that. But God wants you to tell a story of his goodness in your life and to do it in front of other people. Some of you need to keep your yapper shut and quit telling stories that make you look more spiritual than you really are. And it will go against your grain. And you will feel like there's friction. And that tension is what's going to cause you to grow. And so, look, if we're going to ask the question, what does spiritual growth look like? It looks like tension. It looks like there's friction. It looks like there's something in the scriptures that I take issue with that doesn't naturally resonate with the way I'm wired or my personality or the way I was even taught about faith growing up. 
That's what it feels like. And, but this is a, a looming large question, spiritual growth. It implies that all of us are gonna move on one continuum and spiritual growth doesn't look like a, an ascending staircase to holiness. It looks more like the stock market these, does these days, right? Up and down, up and down, up and down. I don't know which day, is it a bear market or a bull market? The same thing with my faith, it's the exact same way. And so really a better question that you ought to ask is this one. If I were to become a little more Christ-like this week, then I would probably, what? What is it you would do? What would it look like? You'd be a, a little more kind, a little more thoughtful. Maybe you'd be a better listener. Maybe you would tell the story about who God is so that some people around you have a sense of the story of your faith or how you see the world. This is a question that all of us ought to be able to answer on the daily with the people that we live with. If I were just to just nudge it, just move a little bit toward becoming more Christ-like, then it would look just like this. And, and if you're not sure, then go to the scriptures that we had you read this week or the stuff that you saw in the e-news. Galatians chapter five, it'll tell you all about the fruit of the spirit. Those are great places to begin. It might look that I have a little more kindness or gentleness, patience. Or the description of love that Paul gives us. It's, it's how Jesus loves the church, but it's how love ought to look for us when we engage in agape love. I, I don't keep a record of wrongs. I'm, I'm also patient. It's a big deal in scripture, patience. What would it look like? You know, in Arizona, a couple times, they've built uh, biospheres to do all kinds of tests about how things grow and and can we live in a place that is completely sustained and independent and all those kinds of things. In each of these biospheres that they've built um, in our country for the purpose of science and research, they've planted trees in all of them. And what they have noticed is what's unique about these trees is once they grow up to a certain size, without fail, they fall over. They just tumble they can't even sustain their own weight. And of course, at first, they couldn't figure this out. Why were these trees falling over? What, what, what is missing? I mean, the soil was good. They're compacted. You know what was missing inside these biospheres? What? Wind. That's right. Wind. What happens with a little sapling when the wind blows it? Well, it just doubles over. You saw it with the snow. If you had little trees, the snow just doubled it over. And when it did that, the roots grow down a little stronger. The wood becomes far more full of tensile strength because of the tension and the friction that is caused by the wind. And then it grows a little more. It blows again. I mean, we have some wind here in Colorado, don't we? It grows a little more, gets a little stronger. It is the friction that causes the roots to go deeper. It is the wind blowing that causes the wood to become stronger. And then you have a sturdy tree. Remove the wind, the tree cannot even sustain its own weight. The tension that you'll find in Scripture is there, but only if you come with this idea. You know, I'm not sure what I think. I could be wrong about a lot of it. And so I ought to look for the things that poke at me. In fact, if you lean into this, you will begin to practice the habit of being wrong. You will. 
because you're going to undo the shame and the, the fear and the, the pride that is all offended at what it means when you're wrong. And you're going to say, you know what, the only way I get good at anything, you know this, the only way you get it good at any skill is to practice it. So you need to practice being wrong. So when you are wrong, you embrace it and you call it out and you write it down. You just throw a party. You know, I was wrong today. And the people in your life will say, thank the Lord that they are realizing this. We're celebrating it every day this week. I found a new place where I was wrong, where scripture is able to push me down a path I don't want to go. That's why Jesus called it the narrow road. And so if you, this week, were to become just a little more Christ-like, what would it look like? What would it be? I bet some things just came to mind. I bet some things just came to mind. And we're going to pray about those things, but we're going to do it with no shame, no expectation. There, there isn't anything associated with that that will lead you into a good place in your relationship with God. Only when we're open-handed, getting the ladder out, reaching for the truth on the top shelf, only when we are humble and hungry, only when we're able to listen to the people around us that see things very differently than you do and open up scripture and allow God to do his work, only then do we experience some of that transformation, a little nudge at a time. So let me lead you through a prayer. We'll see where God leads you in this, okay? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Lord, we pray right now, and we ask that your spirit would guide and lead as we embark uh, on the parables that your son teaches We want to take to heart the very reason why he taught in parables. So Lord, we do not want to be people who are always seeing but never perceiving. Always hearing but never understanding. And we sense that we've been a bit that way this week. Lord, every issue that is uh, front and center in our culture right now, the media would drive us to the extremes and have us villainize everyone else. Of course, this habit teaches us that there is shame and fear and being wrong. Lord, what a hindrance that is to our relationship with you because there are many things where we fall short in our wisdom or our understanding today and they're like little treasures in our walk with you if we can stumble on them if 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 maybe something in your word can point it out if a a conversation with somebody else could highlight it we could discover this thing that will give us freedom mercy and love I don't know if there's anybody in the room or online listening that struggles with tension the way I do. I I don't like tension. I move away from it all the time. Lord, help me to embrace it. Help me to lean toward the things that don't resonate with me, that I'm quickly to discount or discard. 
And Lord, help each of us as we ask this question right now. So Lord, what, what would it look like for us to become a bit more like Jesus in this world? Where would our compassion grow? What fruit of the Spirit has just been a little lacking on our spiritual tree lately? Lord, we don't want any of this for us. We want it for you. We want your kingdom to grow. We know that the hope of this world is is found only in understanding who Jesus is and what this life means. Bring the hope of all things being made new to this very day and the relationships that we have every day. And so we don't want this for us. We want you to be magnified. We want you to become uh, the one chief desire and end of our lives. And so we open our hands to you now and ask that you would make us humble and hungry. Take away the fear. Undo the things that we've learned over the years that get in the way of us coming to you like, well, like innocent children. And may our lives magnify you this week. And may we take the thoughts that we've had uh, throughout this entire morning, whether it's uh, through this uh, somber reflection of Memorial Day weekend or a discussion we had on the way in with a friend that we haven't seen in a while or a scripture that we want to take some time with and really reflect on or whatever it is. May the lyrics we're about to sing reflect our heart and intent for this week, the week to come, the days that we'll experience, work and life and family and friends. And we pray that you will be magnified above all. We ask this in the powerful, holy name of Jesus. Together we say, amen.